it is a joy to be here tonight. I want you to think about this question. What is a statement that you can make that anyone else would accept as true? Think of a statement that you can make that anyone else you told it to would agree that that's true and share it with a neighbor, share it with someone. What's a statement you, that you can make that you, anyone would say this is true? Can you think of it? A fact, right? Um, well, I was thinking about this, and uh, it wasn't so easy for me as, as I thought it might be, but um, for instance, um, we need air to breathe. There you go. I think most people would agree with that. Um, but you can argue with the person next to you because I think there are a lot of statements that we might say, but save it till after um, with, the, uh, yeah, um, with the Sundays um, and, uh, and not during the service. But um, a lot of statements that we think are true may not be as true as we think, I think, sometimes. But what we're looking at tonight certainly is. It's interesting as we look in 1 Timothy 1.15, it starts with this. It is a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance. It is a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance. And you can't say that just about anything. So what is this statement? Well, here it is. That Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. So as we look at this tonight, as we are going through this study on Sunday nights of why Jesus came, what does it mean to say Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners? And as I was looking at this statement, I think there are, are at least three elements that we can see here and I'd like to point them out tonight. The first is that the statement has a prophetic element to it. The statement also has a perplexing element to it. And then the statement also has a purposeful element to it. So what is, what is the prophetic element to this? Well, it starts out, Christ Jesus came, Christ. It starts with the word Christ. And it's interesting because as we think about the word Christ, I've, I've read people say that Christ is not Jesus's last name. Um, I think that's very strange to even make that comment because it never even came across my mind to think of Christ as, as his last name or, or his name per se. But Christ is a title. And when we look at this title, what does it actually mean? It means literally anointed one or chosen one. It is the equivalent of the word Messiah in the Old Testament. And therefore, when someone says Jesus Christ, what they're actually saying is Jesus is the Messiah or Jesus the Messiah or Jesus the anointed one. And those who were anointed, especially as we think about this, this expression in the Old Testament, were those who represented God. For instance, priests and prophets and even kings were to be those who represented God. And those who represented God 
in the Old Testament anticipated the coming Messiah, the Christ, as he is called in the New Testament, who would perfectly represent his heavenly father. The Old Testament prophecies tell us that he will be the seed of the woman who will crush the head of the serpent, Satan. He will be the seed of Abraham, the blessing of the nations. He will be from the tribe of Judah, the ruler from Jacob, the prophet like Moses, the descendant of David, God's son, the one Lord who delivers from death, a king priest conceived of a virgin, an establisher of peace, righteousness, and justice, a light to the nations so that God's salvation may reach the ends of the earth, the suffering servant of the Lord, the one shepherd who will be prince among the people of God, the coming son of man, the ruler born in Bethlehem, the one who would be pierced and will cleanse his people from sin and uncleanness. This is the Messiah. This is the Christ. So he is the Christ. He is Christ Jesus. And so we look at this prophetic element, though, that it's not only Christ that's prophetic, but his name, Jesus. The angel told Mary, in Luke 1.31, you shall name him Jesus. But the angel told Joseph the reason for naming him Jesus. And he said that the reason for naming him Jesus is because he will save his people from their sins. In Hebrew, Jesus' name comes from the name Joshua. It's a very common name in the Old Testament, and even in Jesus' day, I imagine. And it was pronounced Yeshua. It comes from two words, Yasha, which means salvation, and Yah, a shortened form of Yahweh, which means Lord. And so when we look at his name, when the angel told Mary and Joseph to name their baby Jesus, what the angel was saying, you shall name him Yahweh is salvation. Yahweh saves. That is who he is. That is his name. And that is why we read John in John 20 verse 31 saying, these words have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. We also see Peter. He says, and there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven that has been given unto men by which we must be saved. The apostle Paul said, you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the spirit of God. Paul went on to write to the, the church at Colossia, whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. And then Paul wrote to the Philippians, Philippians 2, 
For this reason also God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. He is Christ Jesus. And as we look at this statement, it says Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. He is this one the prophets anticipated. He is the one who fulfilled every requirement for the Messiah. He is the Christ and he is Christ Jesus because he will save his people from their sin. He is Yahweh saves. This is who is coming. This is who has come and it is Christ Jesus. So there is a prophetic element to this statement, but there is also a perplexing element to this statement. Christ Jesus came into the world. That's just incredible to me. You think about this, this person that we just read about, this, this Messiah, this Christ, the one who is Yahweh saves, came into the world, came to the world. And that's why John wrote, I think, uh, we, we, he helps us with this as he begins his, his, his gospel. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, and apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And just in case we don't recognize that he's talking about the Lord Jesus Christ, he goes on to say, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we saw his glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. So this word, the creator, the Lord Jesus Christ became flesh and he pitched his tent among us. And Paul writes in Philippians 2, beginning with verse 6, although he, Christ Jesus, existed in the form of God, he did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus emptied himself. What does that mean? Well, it means that he accepted human limitations and, and was fully man while at the same time fully God. And what's perplexing to me as I think about this is this creator, son of God, who's, who the prophets say his canopy is over the heavens, this God who is majestic, this God who is glorious, this God, God who, who we could not bear to see his glory and we could not even take it in, this God 
left his glory and came to earth to save sinners. He came to earth. He left all of that to come here. That's perplexing because that goes against what we human beings normally do because we're always looking to exalt ourselves and to get higher, to have more power, to have more popularity, to have more stuff. It's all about getting more and having more. And yet what God did in Christ Jesus, Christ came and emptied himself for us. That makes no sense. It makes no sense that he would do such a thing, that this great God would pitch his tent among us, as John says, and that he begins all of this in a stable, in a small barn with animal stalls. And he was placed in a feeding trough. I've, as I got older, I, I, I've gotten more picky, I guess, about things, probably not in a good way. I always have regretted being taught that Jesus was laid in a manger using the word manger. Because that sounds pretty cool because I've never been around them. I don't know what a manger is. It must have been a wonderful place that Jesus was placed in a manger at some place. I don't know anything about that. But if you said Jesus was placed in a feeding trough, now I know about that. I've seen those. And by the way, um, when I was in seminary, our family lived in the loft of a barn. And I can tell you, it's not all that you might think it is. <laughs> or maybe it is. And I, I, I was thinking about, I wonder how many health code violations were in that stable where Jesus was born. He, the creator God, left the splendor, the glory, the majesty that was rightfully his. And this is what he emptied himself of. He emptied himself of his privileges of what was due him. And he emptied himself in such a way that the people around him could not see his glory. They did not recognize him for who he was. And this is what he did when he came to this world. He emptied himself. It doesn't make sense. Why would he do this? Well, 1 John 4.10, I, I think it may be the very first verse I was ever taught in Sunday school. And that is this, God loved us and sent his son. Why would he do such a thing? Because he loved us. He loved us. And I think back, if I mention my childhood, I hadn't heard this song in many years, but it popped in my mind as I was thinking about this, Dottie Rambo wrote these words. He left the splendor of heaven, knowing his destiny was the lonely hill of Golgotha, there to lay down his life for me. And then she goes on, if that isn't love. It is love. And it's amazing that Christ Jesus came into the world and he came into the world to save sinners. And that's the third part of this 
statement here. The statement not only has a prophetic element to it, Christ Jesus, not only does it have a perplexing element to it, that he came into the world, but it has a purposeful element to it. And that is he came for the purpose of saving sinners. That's why he came. So what is sin? 1 John 3, 4 teaches that sin is disobedience and rebellion against God, against his word. It's an offense to God. We sin by doing things we shouldn't do. We sin by doing things, not doing things that we should do. We sin by entertaining thoughts that we shouldn't have and and we have imaginations that we, sh we shouldn't be giving ourselves to, that's sin. And we're all sinners. The Bible's very clear about that. You know, we're familiar with that, that for all of sin and fall short of God's glory, his, 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 perfect, his perfect law and, and commandment and his perfect character, we, we fall short of all of these things. And you think about this, um, we, the first commandment is that you shall have no other gods before me. We came into this, we got our start breaking God's law because God was not your God or my God when we first came into this world. And we already started out breaking the law. And the scripture makes it very clear. We heard this today in our BFG as, as Dr. Eliff was teaching and he said the scripture says that if you're guilty of breaking one commandment, you're guilty of breaking all. And we get that from James chapter two. What is the penalty of sin? Romans six teaches the wages of sin is death. Christ Jesus came to save sinners. He came into the world to save sinners to save us from the penalty of sin, which is death. And how did he do this? God the Son became flesh. He took on flesh and became a man, flesh and bone. Still God, but completely man, completely God, completely man. He lived a perfect life. He allowed himself to be arrested, tried, convicted, and crucified and Christ Jesus hung on the cross and while he did God the Father took every sin that we have committed or will commit and put them on Jesus and punished him for our sin and he took our place he became our substitute and the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5.21, he made him who knew no sin to become sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. It is the great exchange. And it is Jesus Christ who did this. Christ Jesus, when he came to the world to save sinners. He was buried and rose from the grave the third day. And it is this resurrected Christ Jesus who came into the world and conquered sin and death 
to save sinners. But how can I be saved? If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart, a person believes, resulting in righteousness. And with the mouth, he confesses, resulting in salvation. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. I want you to say that with me. Let's all say it. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. One more time. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And as Paul wrote, it is a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance.